Hello, everybody, and welcome to Portroid Cast Episode 6. I'm Rick, and on this episode, I interview arguably one of the funniest people in the world, comedian Paul F. Tompkins. We sat down yesterday at San Francisco's Sketchfest, immediately following his performance as Andrew Lloyd Webber on the Comedy Death Ray radio show. Uh, you should be able to download that podcast soon. Um, uh, I think it's the CDR radio uh, on iTunes. Anyway, uh, we talked about his comedy, his career, and some upcoming projects, and here's that interview. Enjoy. All right, uh, I'm here with Paul F. Tompkins at the San Francisco Sketch Fest. Thank you very much, Paul, for having taking the time to sit down with me. Thank you for having me. There's always time to sit down. You know <laughs> of <what I> course. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I've um, so you've been doing stand up for over twenty years now. Yes, uh, feels like longer <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> you started in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, how has your act evolved over time? Because I know you um, your first CD, Impersonal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said kind of more of your some of your older material. Which, yeah, and then your new your new CD, Freak Wharf, which just mm-hmm. came out. Um, is probably more what your current stand-up is like. It's closer, yeah. Like it, yeah. It, the stuff that's on Impersonal was very conceptual, you know, and it was about much more about ideas. And there's you know some absurd stuff on there, and that that was definitely how I started out in Philly was doing kind of. Uh, I, I strove to do, uh, you know, some silly stuff. You know, that's that's how I always kind of described my act was there. You know. You go through a lot of changes when you when you start out, and I would say over the course of uh, the eight years that I did stand up in Philly, I went, you know I, I tried a lot of things out, and, and you know it takes it takes a little while to find your voice and what interests you the most, and uh, I just got into uh, uh, this sort of conceptual stuff, these ideas that I that I really found funny and still do, but then after I moved to Los Angeles, I saw people doing stand-up that I had always kind of wanted to do, and I, I don't know that I was... It, it might have been that I was intimidated by doing that, um, but very, very honest sort of uh, conversational stuff where they were just talking in a, in a very natural way, and I, I loved the the removal of the artifice, you know, that, um, that a lot of times it, it'll be a barrier... Um, between you and the audience, you know, if it's if it's too written, you know, if it's too like I say this word then, I say this word then, you know, then there's something about it that I think, for me as a performer, it felt like I was shutting people out. You know, I I I want to be in the moment. I want to uh, experience. Um, uh, the, I don't know. It's not the same thing. It's it's hard to put into words. It's like I want the audience and I to be having a shared experience. Yeah. You know, and I felt like if I'm just kind of reciting things. That go the same way every time. Uh, I'm not. It's not satisfying to me. Right. You know? yeah. So I gradually, I, I started to get more and more conversational, more and more confessional. You know, where uh, I realized that, you know, having a um, a shared experience with the audience, it, it's not. You don't have to say, "Hey, has this ever happened to you?" You can just say it, and chances are, people can relate to it. Either they can relate to it, or you're, you know, opening them up to a new. Experience, you know, you're saying this happened to me. You know, this is an unusual thing, and yeah. you know that's funny. Or, you know, this is a thing that we've all dealt with, and that's funny. You know, but uh, but I definitely wanted to, to have a connection with the audience more than I ever had before. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there was something actually. I just wanted to mention. I don't know if there's any question in here uh, specifically to you, but there was a something that was more of a concept that 
um, I just found hilarious it was something you were part of on a another podcast, which was the Walking with Michelle podcast, <laughs> where you went to Disneyland. Yes, and you guys had a discussion, a serious discussion about Darfur <laughs> on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Yes, yeah, and just that level of comedy was just struck me as hilarious. Oh, that was Michelle. That was yeah. I think that might have been the genesis of that whole thing. Yeah, that she wanted to do that. She wanted to have a serious conversation on a roller coaster, yeah. and. Um, and you know, I, I it, that was a lot of fun. I, I almost wish it could have been on a, a more um, grown up roller, like at a Six Flags, because right. you know the rides at Disneyland are only so exciting. We were on the runaway train, yeah. you know, which is which is fun, but it's not quite as uh, terrifying as your your average loop to loop roller coaster, you yeah. know, which would have been that would have been more nuts. screams. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But um, but yeah, that was uh, that was Michelle's idea, and, and uh, I, I really I really enjoyed doing that. I was. I was uh, hungover. I'd gone to a wedding the night before. For some reason, uh, Michelle and, and Matt Belknap insisted that it had to be that day. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't have to be that day. And the idea was that we're going to go at night. You know, we're going to leave at nine o'clock so we can, you know, uh, get there when it's less crowded. It's never less crowded at Disneyland. It's Disneyland. Right. People get there when that thing opens. I don't. I think it opens at six a.m. You know, and people are there. You know, so. Um, so yeah, that didn't have to happen that way. No. It didn't have to happen that way. I'm, I'm still, I still got an axe to grind about it. Okay, I'll never good. let that go. Excellent. Um, <laughs> you were uh, Mr. Show. Was um, you were an actor and uh, writer on that show? Yes. How did that come about? That relationship. Obviously, after you moved to L.A., mm-hmm. I met Jay Johnston, who's another writer and performer on Mr. Show. Um, we met through our mutual friend Adam McKay, the director, that uh, who who I knew in Philadelphia and and Jay knew in Chicago, um, and uh, I moved to Los Angeles and and when Jay Johnston was moving to Los Angeles, Adam told him, "Hey, you should meet this guy, Paul Tompkins. I think you guys would hit it off." And we did, you know, which that never happens, you know. Um, but we met. We really liked each other right away. Within a week, we started writing stuff together. Um, uh, for for a sketch show that uh, uh, another guy I knew was putting on, um, we really enjoyed the experience. So we put together our own sketch show, uh, which was you know like forty five minutes of sketches, something like that. And that was seen by Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, and that's how we got hired on this show. They had just finished their first season. They had gotten uh, enough money, enough of a budget to hire writers. So um, that was it. And then we got hired. That was my first big job in show business. Very good. And then. Uh, question about your attire. You, um, <laughs> yes. you wear three-piece suits. Mm-hmm. Seems to kind of be a hallmark. Uh, or mm-hmm. you know, where like today you've got a suit coat on, a bow tie. Right. Uh, right. Has this always been part of your stage presence, or is this something that you? Yeah, it pretty much has. I mean, I've I've always been into clothes since I was a kid. You know, I always like to dress up, and I, I think it was it was partly for the, uh, the the sort of stagecraft of it, you yeah. know, I like I like the theatricality of it, and the people, uh, you know, I, I'm 41, so when I was a kid, the people that I saw on TV, on, on Johnny Carson, like, everybody dressed up, they all wore suits and ties, you know, so that to me meant show business, um, but uh, also I think I, I think I, I think I wanted to be more grown up, you know, I think I, I always wanted to be... Uh, to be seen as older I, because I admired those people so much that was part of it too it was like I was in a hurry to be a grown up you know um, so yeah but I now I just uh, love clothes which is a, a very expensive thing to love <laughs> and you feel stupid because it's like I have I have a lot of clothes in my closet and uh 
I, I'm not going to wear all that stuff. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a lot of things that I just never, ever take off the hanger, and, and uh, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing <laughs> to be a grown man and <laughs> have all that stuff. Now, for, I think it was about a year, you lived out in New York City as the host of Best Week Ever. Yes. Um, which initially was a talking head type show mm -hmm. where they brought in a number of people to comment on what had happened in the news and entertainment throughout yeah. the week. Yes. Uh, then you came on as the host, mm -hmm. and it was Best Week Ever with Paul F. Tompkins. Right. Then they canceled the show. <laughs> That's right. But with the disclaimer, essentially, that this show's coming back in 2010. Yes. Um, I kind of likened it to... Um, for, for, from the fans' perspective, saying, you know, Walt Disney's cryogenically frozen. You know, <laughs> he's not dead. He's not dead. Yeah. You know, but now it seems you're back in L.A. You've kind of reintegrated yourself into that lifestyle. Yeah. Is there any show left on Best Week Ever? Or no, are there we, is not. There, yeah. there was actually official word. Uh, I, I, it was either early this week or late last week that Best Week Ever is absolutely done. Yeah. You know, the network's not bringing it back. And you know, But as far as I was concerned, it was done in June of, of 2009 yeah. when they said they were putting us on hiatus. Well, they never said anything about Best Week Ever with Paul F. Tompkins. They oh. said Best Week Ever is going on hiatus. Um, uh, you know, I was not told, like... Eh, there was no assurances that, yeah, we want to bring you back. We want to bring back the hosted format. You know, nobody really addressed directly, like, um, yeah, we tried we tried it with you and it didn't work, or we didn't feel that it worked, or, you know, whatever. It, it was like it never happened, you know? Like, when, when the word came down that, that we were all out of a job, uh, it was not best week ever with Paul F. Tompkins is over. Yeah. You know, it was sort of... I mean, like, I was addressed... There, there was a, an email from the executive producer of the show um, to my manager saying, hey, sorry to say the best week ever is officially done. But there was... An, like, he didn't mention my name in the thing at all. Yeah. It's like, well, what happened to me? You know? Like, the, the, it is sort of like... <laughs> Everybody was just pretending that, that that nobody ever made that decision. That I did not, you know, uproot my entire life and my fiance's life to move across the country, and, and that you know the network never supported the show. They never advertised, you know, and we just kind of uh, we just kind of floundered, you know. And and the shame of it is, that I think we did a really good show. I agree. I'm, yeah. I'm, thank you. I, I thought I thought it was I thought it was a, a, an improvement over what had been there before. Thank you. Had a, a I appreciate consistent that. run through, you know, yeah. and you seemed to put in a lot of work yeah. each week to, to build up that show, and I thought it was, it was excellent. Yeah, it was a really good team, and, uh, and, and, and going to a hosted format, I'm not going to take all the credit for it. I think just the, the format change allowed the writers and myself to, to be much more focused on the comedy, you know, yeah. rather than, you know, it, in the old format, there was a lot of funny comedians, but people are just riffing, you know, like some people would write would would put more effort into writing than others and you know at the at the end of the day it, it came down to the editors they have to sift through hours of tape you know to find good stuff that also fits in you know uh uh the, the timing of the show, you know, so somebody might have a great joke, but it rambles on too much, and it might be hilarious. But it's like, ah, oh, we can't because we have to, you know, we have to get here to the break, you know. So it was, uh, it was just a much better and more logical way to do the show, a more efficient way to do yeah. the show, you know. But that said, I, I, I really am proud of that show, and, and uh, I think we did some really good comedy, and you know, it was, it was a great experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. I'm really happy to have had that experience. Excellent.
Um, there's a show you regular, uh, regularly uh, do at Largo in, in Los Angeles, which yeah. you brought here to SF Sketchfest, mm-hmm. which was the Paul F. Tompkins show. Yes. And uh, it's kind of not a r- standard comedy show. It's more like a variety show, uh, evening of entertainments. Exactly. And um, I saw it last night. It was just hilarious. Thank um, you. Uh, you do singing in the show. I do. Uh, do you have singing ambitions? Or, uh, no, I okay, do not. Just, just I will tell you, it has taken me uh, so much to get to the point where I'm this comfortable singing in front of people. Yeah. Because my whole family was always musical. Everybody could sing. Uh, and I was in a choir when I was a kid, you know, in the church choir and everything. And I did in high school, we did musicals. So, uh, you know, that was... Uh, I, I got pretty good parts because I could also sing. Um... But to just to just stand on stage and sing a song is really nerve-wracking for me. And at first, I, uh, I I was very I was so overtly comedic about it that um, it was like I was barely singing, you know. Um, but then over time, I realized I could I could make it I could I could make it funnier, and I could it would just be a better performance if I really commit to singing it. Um, you know, and I sing it as as best as I can, and then throw on the funny stuff. Right. You know, so not not to apologize for it before I've even started. You know, but to to really embrace it, and it's freed me up enormously. And it's it, the 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 continual lesson for me is facing fears. You know, that's what that's what I've taken into my adulthood, into my maturity. Is is uh, instead of running away from things that I'm afraid of, is is forcing myself to turn and face them and say, okay, well, how can I, you know, is this something I can conquer and I can get past and I can make work for me? And it's like, I gotta say, nine times out of ten, it pays off, you know? Yeah. It's it, it's great to stop being afraid of something, at the very least, you know? But, um, but yeah, it opens up new new avenues of creativity for me. Right. I think, yeah, the, just watching the show last night, you know, Again, it just marks where where your humor is so sharp that I've noticed where you can riff on something immediately <laughs> and like the bottle. The guy, someone dropped a bottle in the middle of the show, yes. and then you created this, or maybe you had it already, but this drunk character. No, that had never. That's <laughs> that that came out of you know something that I've heard so many times, and there is nothing. I think it's such an offensive thing to me, and I'm almost afraid to say it because I'm afraid somebody's going to hear this and do it as a joke. But the the clanking of an empty beer bottle on a concrete floor that drives me crazy because it's so low class to me. You know, it's so like, what are we doing? I thought we were all grown ups in this room, but it's this is not, you know, a keg party down by the train tracks. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Then just the it, the thing I always come back to is. Are you telling me you really have to be drinking all the time? Like, you can't just hang out for the show, drink before and after, you know? I like to drink, you know what I mean? But I'm not drinking during that show. Um, it, it's that that thing of... Uh, it, it feels... It feels disrespectful to me, you know? It feels disrespectful to me. And for all I know, that person might have been mortified that they dropped that bottle, but... Man, oh man, be be careful, everybody. Yeah. Be careful of where your bottles are. Try not to kick them over. <laughs> but yeah, so then going into that character was just the, I think the the pent up frustration of having heard that one too many times, you know, um, and it all came, <laughs> it all came out. Well, it worked really well. Thank you, know, just, you, you you played it off very well. 
um, and got the point across without <laughs> driving it too much. I, pr- I probably did go a little bit too far with no. it, as, I'm, as, as is the case when I get upset about stuff like that. Is I, I, I always take it to a point where the audience is with me, audience is with me, and then, okay, dude, stop talking about it. Well, I was with you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, uh, you've, you've appeared in a few movies, uh, serious roles. Maybe a, a short part. You were in the informant. You were in right. uh, there will be blood. <laughs> right. Do you have acting ambitions, or or is it? Uh, I do. I like acting. Um, uh, as much as I enjoyed um, the experience of, of hosting Best Week Ever, and I would love to do something like that again. Uh, I, I I really do enjoy acting. Uh, the, the ideal acting gig for me would be a weekly sitcom. You know, like a multi-camera in front of an audience. You know. Uh, you you write and rehearse all week, and then Friday you do a show, and I, I would love to do that too. You know, um, movies are movies are tough because it's uh, I think coming from stand up where you you do have an immediate payoff. Um, movies is a lot of waiting. It's a lot of waiting around, and it can get frustrating and and kind of boring, frankly. You know, and I and believe me, I never thought I would be saying that. You know, I, when I was a kid, I just thought that I would hear people, hear actors, you know, talk about that or read in, in uh, biographies of actors. They would talk about the, the the downtime on sets and how dull it was, and I thought that's impossible. There's no way you could be on a Hollywood movie set and be bored, but. You are, you know. There's a lot of waiting around. It, it it depends on the people you're with. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but it's a lot of waiting. It is really a lot of waiting. Now, if I were a good actor, I would use that time to work on my uh, my character, work on my scenes. But as I am not a good actor, I don't do that, <laughs> so I'm bored. <laughs> um, you were an early adapter on Twitter, for example, social networking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it came up on Best Week Ever. You mm-hmm. would, uh, you, that was when you were Twitterkins. Right. And now you are <laughs> at right. PF Tompkins. That's right. Um, and do you find that that has helped to advertise where you're going to Absolutely. be? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, kind of bring your daily oh, yeah. comedy essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. to people. Yes, it, it is. It is spread the word on, on who I am. Every once in a while, I get um, I get a message from somebody saying. I discovered you on here, and then I went and checked out your stand-up, and now I'm a fan. And that, to me, is that makes it all worthwhile. You know, even if it's just one person every once in a while, hopefully that means there's other people that aren't expressing that thought, but the same thing is happening. But yeah, because of Twitter, um, this whole way of uh, this whole new way of booking shows that I'm doing came about. You know, which is through Facebook. Which is um, uh, I was in Atlanta, and I was I was. Uh, I was recording uh, a special for Comedy Central, an hour-long special, at this tiny place, 74-seat theater, and it was not sold out. And I couldn't believe it. Like, that's this is not a big place to fill, and I'm not filling it. And I was kind of panicking, and I went on Twitter and said, please, I need people to come to the show. I worked it out over the... It was uh, two shows a night over four nights. It worked out to 280 people. And I said, I need 300 people to come see me in Atlanta. And so in the midst of this and, and other friends of mine retweeting it and passing it along, um, this comedian Bob Kerr in, uh, in Toronto said, hey, why don't you come to Toronto? And I said, you know, half kiddingly and half angrily, you get 300 people to say they'll see me in Toronto and I'll come to Toronto. And he started this Facebook group, I want to see Paul F. Tompkins in Toronto, and he got 300 people within a couple weeks. And I said, all right, uh, you know, my word is my bond. I will come to Toronto. I booked a show. Uh, at the Rivoli Theater, where the kids in the hall started out, um, I did uh, one night, two shows, and it was uh, 
one of the best nights of my entire career. That crowd was great. They were all there to see me. They all knew they they had come together and made this thing happen. You know, so there was like a great vibe in the room, and um, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. So since then, uh, other groups have started, um, and finally, I'm, I've got some dates for these uh, for these places. I'm, I'm going to um, Halifax, Nova Scotia, uh, 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 Dallas, Texas. Uh, God, where else? Memphis, Tennessee, um, and I think Seattle just hit 300, and Philadelphia, uh, and a lot more are getting closer. So, hopefully, this is going to be the way I do things from now on. This yeah. is the beginning of a, of a new way of booking for me. You yeah, know. it's pretty innovative. Uh, innovative. <laughs> inventive. <laughs> inventive. Yes. Very inventive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way, uh, and maybe this is a new direction that that uh, booking shows can happen. You know, yeah. you get the fans, you line up the fans, yeah. we'll find the venue. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And I, why not? You know, yeah, because absolutely. enough people are online uh, all day long at work. You know, it's it's just part of our daily lives now. You know, um, then why can't it work that way? And it eliminates a lot of it eliminates a lot of hassle for everybody. You know, for for club owners, um, they don't have to worry as much about advertising. Like if this if this becomes a, a viable thing, you know, it's like okay, we don't have to worry about getting people in here. We know that people are going to be here because they said they were going to be here to see this specific person. You know. Obviously, it's not going to work for for everybody uh, until they build a following, you know. And uh, I, I'm I, believe me, the number three hundred still kind of freaks me out. I'm like, man, that, that feels like a lot of people, you know. Um, but so far, so good, you know. The re- the real test will be these next few shows to see if uh, if the momentum has remained, you know. If people, you know, because it takes a while to to get three hundred people, you know. Um, so we'll see. It's I, I, the, the first one that's happening is in March. Is March twentieth, I think, uh, in Memphis, and that'll be the, the first, the next show. You know, since the Toronto show. Um, but I'm very hopeful, and I'm really looking forward to it. And then you recently announced you would be starting up your own podcast yeah. next month or so. Yeah, it's the Pod F Tomcast. That's right. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, what we can expect from that? Yeah, it's going to be. I wanted to to kind of have uh, a little bit of everything that I like to do. So there'll be um, there will be uh, some improvisation on it. There will be recorded stuff from my my Largo Variety Show. You know, because I have like a stockpile of old material that's uh, I've had no outlet for. But a lot of a lot of, I recorded pretty much all of the shows, you know, so um, I, I can uh, put stuff on, on there from, from that show, um, there will be conversations with people, with, with friends of mine in, in the business, and, and maybe out of the business too, you know, I, I want to I just talk to every every show, have a, have a conversation with somebody that I find interesting, you know, um, so it's going to be a little bit of everything, you know, and, but again, it, uh, I think it's going to be something that's going to that's going to transform over time, you know. Um, so I'm going to start it out knowing that it's it's going to change eventually. It's going to evolve, I should say, um, and become the thing that it's going to be. But uh, but I'm really excited about it. You know, I, I love the uh, the podcasting uh, form, um, and I've been wanting to do one for a long time. And now it's, you know, as with everything with me, it comes down to the tech. You know, like I don't know that stuff. You know, so. It's it's I, I kind of know I have a, a, a you know a, a list of the things that I want to put in the first one, so now I'm going to talk to uh, my friend Eben Schletter, who is the musical uh, director on Mr. Show. Um, uh, he knows all that stuff, and he's going to give me a hand in uh, in literally uh, assembling it and then getting it online. Well, 
That's it. Uh, thank you very much for uh, taking thank the time. You, man. My pleasure. It's great seeing you, and I think I'm going to see you in uh, two more shows tonight. That's You're right. Doing a game game show, show explosion. explosion. That's right. And those are your final shows here at Sketchfest. That's it. Yeah. All right. So those people on the podcast won't be able to see you at Sketchfest, <laughs> but uh, it sounds like you've got a couple shows coming up. Where, where can they find out? Uh, more about oh, where you're going to be appearing. Uh, PaulFTompkins.com. Uh, I'm on uh, Facebook. I have a fan page and a regular old account, and uh, I update stuff on Twitter all the time. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank Paul. you, man. Absolutely. I'll see you soon. Thanks. Well, that was my interview with the great Paul F. Tompkins. I'd like to thank him again for taking the time to meet with me, and would recommend you all buy his CDs, Impersonal and Freak Wharf. Both are available on astrecords.com. You should also keep your eyes and ears out for his upcoming podcast, The Pod F. Tomcast. It promises to be hilarious. Well, that's it for now, so until next time, this is Rick saying goodbye forever.